Welcome to your podcast, Leadership is Tricky, where we'll tackle various topics, challenges, and experiences as it relates to your investment in leadership. So, let's design success together. Now your hosts. Hey everyone, welcome to Leadership is Tricky. I'm here with Steven. How you doing, Steve? Good, how are you doing? I can't complain. It's been a long day, but uh, we have a special guest today, uh, Trish Martinelli. Hey, Trish. Um, hey. Yeah, we go way back. Uh, we used to work together and... Uh, we went through some, you know, some battles and, you know, back in the day and we came out with uh, battle scars and wounds, but uh, they're all healed now and we're here we are. So welcome, Trish. Um, so, yeah, just go ahead and tell everyone um, out there that's listening a little bit about yourself. Oh, wow. I am so glad to be on the show with both of you. Eric, as soon as you kind of, you know, let everybody know that you were doing this as, you know, kind of your manifestation of your professionalism in the world, I was like, yes, I can't wait to hear it. And then you were like, hey, Trish, would you like to be on it? I was like, yes, of course I would. So thank you so much for letting me be here. Um, So my name is Trish Martinelli. I am I've been a public servant pretty much all of my life. I joined the Army in 1987. Hopefully, uh, most of your listeners were not even alive then. Kind of like that math problem we just heard about. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's weird how I'm only 35 and I joined the Army in 87. There you um, go. There it is. Yeah. So uh, I spent 21 years in the Army as a military intelligence professional. I was first a Russian linguist and then an Arabic linguist. So I guess I got all the languages. So you know there's shows in English, right? <laughs> new Kanyeshna, yes, oh, nice. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to get new audience. We need so. subtitles, subtitles now. Oh, right. Wow. So um, after that, I took a I took a solid year off and just did some retirement time with my family. But it was 2008, and Arabic linguists were much needed. Came back into uh, public service as a contractor for a little while. Okay. Ended up moving to uh, to DC as a contractor, and we started. Uh, wor- I started working for the Joint IED Defeat Organization as a red team analyst, specializing in the AFRICOM AOR. Hmm. Um, through that experience, ended up doing a, a few really cool things, document media exploitation for the Osama bin Laden raid, which was uh, probably one of my favorite jobs of my whole life. And uh, then came over to the government side, worked a little bit in acquisition for the organization, and I guess made one or two smart comments in a meeting and got invited to the director strategy group. And this was a very small group. Um, I think when I joined, there were maybe seven. Half of us were military, half of us were civilian. And we were the direct advisors and action arm to the three-star general when he had something strategic and maybe um, squishy is a good way to put it. And uh, filled that role until 2016 when I left to come back to the arms of the intelligence community at the Office of Naval Intelligence. And I started there as their Maritime Domain Awareness Policy Advisor. And I'm currently the Russia Sea Power Forum Program Manager. So I designed and implemented the Russia Sea Power Forum, which essentially, whether it's given in a classified space or unclassified space, will take anywhere from four to eight hours and help you understand why the Russian Navy is vexing. Well, all right. Uh, yeah, I you've, feel... you've done a lot, and I feel pretty <laughs> small right now. Absolutely. I'm looking at my resume now like, oh, man, I got to get some stuff going. Well, I hope I got it all in less than uh, three minutes. So, 
you know, uh, the elevator pitch. Yeah, just about two and a half. That's great. You know, um, mm-hmm. no, but welcome. Um, and I'm glad that you, 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 that you took the time to, to sit with us today. And we're going to talk about some cool stuff. Um, hopefully everyone Certainly. out there thinks it's cool. Um, so this show is about leadership and the, the things that we um, are trying to put our arms around, provide get, some clarity. Yeah, and give some kind of like real truth facts that we've seen in our life not maybe prescriptive in the books that we all like to read however give context to what we do learn and just kind of keep it real right absolutely so one of the things that we always struggle with is innovation Hmm. right so right so we're going to talk a little innovation and you know you're going to give your perspective and we'll play off each other there and we'll uh you know give our takes in in a real world environment because i think we all struggle with that you know with doctrine and policy and regulation there's not a lot of room for innovation in certain circumstances, right? And I think it comes down to what's the environment you're in and, and maybe your walk of life. I know it sounds like, Trish, you've been a public servant, as you mentioned. Can you talk a little bit about what, as far as innovation is concerned, what does that mean to you, given your walk of life? And, uh, you know, we'll go from there and see what kind of has worked, you know, throughout your career and what has not. Sure. So before I get going, as the Russia Sea Power Forum program manager, I should say um, <laughs> that the views here expressed are exclusively uh, the mind work of Trish Martinelli. They do not reflect uh, the official Department of Defense position nor the Department of the Navy. So really, this is inside Trish's brain, and it is not a representative of any official position, although any of the uh, positions that I take that uh, anybody in the DOD would like to take, I would love to see it go forward. Yeah, so it's just Trish, Steve, and Eric That's having it. a right. conversation. <laughs> Right. So um, as we kind of take a look at the fabric of innovation, I'm going to talk a a little bit about some of the significant threads that are woven into my innovation fabric, Um, the first of which being uh, design thinking. And design thinking, um, I I think, is close to the military decision-making process, but a 2.0, in my opinion, upgrade of it. Um, It's being used a lot in industry. Um, I don't see it used as much within the Department of Defense and I, or actually in the government. Um, so that's one of the threads that kind of weaves into my fabric. Another one is understanding the culture of your organization, which people kind of give a head nod to and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, I totally get the culture. Um, but I'm actually a certified culture facilitator. And going through that training and kind of getting a new perspective on how to assess and understand a culture has really made a difference in how I'm able to innovate. And then uh, kind of lastly, I want to touch a little bit on uh, my involvement in the Department of Defense Innovation Space. So there is actually a Defense Innovation Board, uh, probably familiar with that. And there are um, pockets of excellence that are coming up both at the kind of uh, secretariat level of the Department of Defense as well as the service level. Um, But unfortunately, a lot of those pockets are contained and you won't see a lot of their work get out into the overall service unless uh, they're invited. And sometimes that gets a little tricky because innovation sometimes needs to go where it's not invited. And uh, that's where leadership really kind of, you know, sets the tone. Yeah. So let's let's go back because you said three different things there. So um, sure. going back to design thinking and you said that it, it's out there. So why is that important to you? That, that, that it's people important to kind of take a look at that. 
Sure. It's important to me because it really challenges your thinking. And uh, one of the key components, one of the most important components of design thinking that I really embrace was the challenging of your assumptions. And, you know, we'll touch on that a little bit, too, when we uh, hopefully when we speak a little bit about what we're reading. Um, I'm reading a book called Humility is the New Smart that I hope we can touch on. But understanding that your mental models are not reality which um, flies in the face of a very long-standing Department of Defense uh, paraphrase that perception is reality. I, I've always been rubbed wrong by that. Um, and hey, in design well, thinking... You're, you're part of our tribe. You're part of our tribe. <laughs> I, I talk about that Yo maybe tribe. three hashtag, times a day. Yeah. Hashtag right. Yeah. Um, so it, design thinking really takes you through a process whereby it's not just brainstorming. It's not just challenging of assumptions. It's not just prototyping of ideas. And, you know, I'd like to put a pin in that because, Eric, I think in your line of of work, you prototype work a lot more often than people in my line of work for strategy or policy. You know, you talk about strategy and you're like prototyping. What is, you know, how do we do that? How can we do that? And there's a way to do that in design thinking to not only prototype processes or things that you can feel things that you can test Mm -hmm. but also to test ideas yes it's test those models right so it's part of simulation of of any idea right you got it running through some type of model or some type of uh uh, go ahead yeah i i think with design thinking and i've i've looked at it maybe on the periphery because i love watching you know ideo that's out there and they've kind of been the evangelist for this concept of i guess problem solving where it is about the experimentation, challenging assumptions. But what I personally love about it is that you go and put yourself kind of more empathetic in those people that are going to use your product or service and you go and test with those folks and you continuously iterate with them. So it's a lot of like what we hear about with agile kind of development, and agile mindset, but maybe a little bit more structured. And, you know, kudos to you trying to bring it to the public sector because we need more of you out there telling people that it's okay to just fail and maybe to your point sure. when you're doing strategy you can't really fail on strategy like on the surface like if you went into an organization and said hey this is our three to five year plan we're okay to fail but we're going to try it anyways i mean that's really hard to sell to let's say an organization of you know five to ten thousand people potentially <laughs> yeah they're gonna look at you like what, what are you talking about well i mean the, know, and not... the strategic leader is supposed to have all the answers but, right but i think it gets to back to what you were talking about the culture and that culture facilitation is how do you now you bring that strategy into this new dynamic that might not be ready for a cultural shift mm-hmm. or a strategy. Hey, we're, we're used to doing ad hoc. Uh Oh, we got a guest. Yeah, we do. yeah I sure do. <laughs> um, yeah. So getting back to that innovation space, it, it's tough. I, and I really like the tool of design thinking because it applies to so many different things that you can uh, measure and put your hands on. So I think Eric, um, you know, when you're talking about a culture and maybe Trish, I, I wrote this down while you were speaking, you know, culture facilitator. I have mm-hmm. never heard that title or role from anybody. So help ah. me and maybe help some of our listeners understand, like, what is a culture facilitator? What does that mean to you? I will. Um, but before we move away from design thinking, I will put a plug in for a program that uh, is run in D.C. every summer. It's called the Summer of Design. 
uh, teaches you design thinking once a week on a Wednesday evening, uh, you can go in. So if it's an opportunity that folks in DC can take, it fills up quickly. But look for the summer of design. I was the chief operating officer of the uh, project last year, and I'll be involved with it again in the year coming up. And I, I really can't speak highly enough about it. Plus, you leave with a certificate from the Darden School in design thinking, and it's a real career enhancer. So put a big star and an asterisk, my plug in for the summer of design if folks are looking for resources on design thinking. Cool. Do they uh, do a webinar for that? Uh, no, you have to be in the room. You have to be with the folks. Um, so it it may be hard for people coming from out of the area, but it may be a good opportunity for a six to nine week, um, detail in the DC area, and then also take advantage of, uh, the summer of design as well. So, um, cool. I mean, so we have, I know we have listeners in DC area when we look at our, uh, analytics. So, um, hopefully for you folks who are listening, take advantage of that. Um, but, you know, as we, as we shift, you know, more to this cultural facilitation, because I know when you told me about this about five, six weeks ago, I had to go read on it. And I was like, what is she talking yes. about? Um, yeah. so, so I would probably, you know, just, you know, go back to Steve's question is one, tell us a little bit about it, but then also kind of define what culture means to you. So because what it might mean to you might mean something to, you know, something different to somebody else. Right. Well, um, culture is the collective regard. It's, it's the collective regard of the people that are involved in the culture and how they feel that it works to support them or that it doesn't and how they feel about the atmospherics where they are. You know, it, it's, uh, it's no more simple than that. No one necessarily defines culture, which, again, flies in the face of some of, you know, kind of the conventional wisdom or uh, the longstanding sayings of, hey, the leader, you know, the fish stinks from the head and the leaders define the culture. Well, leaders come and go and a culture in an organization stays. So it really is the collective regard of the opportunity and the obstacles that are encountered that transcend who's in the leadership position. Yeah, so that's it's interesting because you put it that way because um, I, I contend that just because you're at the top of an organization doesn't make you the leader, right? It could be that you're in a position of authority, um, but the leaders are, it could be the middle management, it could be the person that has the courage to kind of, you know, challenge the status quo. Um, and, and that's kind of where I'm at. I know we talk about it all the time and, you know, as part of this podcast is kind of to challenge some of those, I think, misconceptions. I think so. Of, of, of what leadership is. So that's why I kind of asked what you thought the culture was. Um, and then, you know, this culture facilitation is intriguing to me because the little bit that I did read, read on it, it's, it's really going out there and being a little bit disruptive right? Um, to challenge the status quo within an organization. So I, that I can, positive disruptor you're talking about? Yeah, that rebel talent. Oh. Well, I can, I can tell you that out of all the things that I've done in my professional career, learning Arabic, learning Russian, uh, you know, swinging out of a helicopter as an air assault uh, member of the 101st UA. Um, this is singularly the hardest thing I've ever done. The current, is, the current role you're in right now? Uh, um, becoming a certified culture facilitator. Oh. Uh, it has been the most difficult challenge of my life. Um, harder than getting a master's degree part-time at night, uh, harder than learning languages, harder, <laughs> harder than working for some bosses. What makes it so difficult? Is it wrapping your mind around, um, the fact that you're 
potentially going to have to go with and trying to disrupt the status quo and, you know, push the culture to change? Uh, what makes it as difficult of a task um, as, as you stated? You almost leave all of the skills that have gotten you to where you are. So, stop me if this sounds familiar at the door. You, the skills that got you to the point where you could be a good culture facilitator are not the tools that get you over the line to be a good culture facilitator. You don't direct the conversation. You don't try to cut through people's misguided assumption of responsibility. So um, you'll be in a room where people might talk about something. You might come in to talk about something that pops up on a um, command climate survey. And before you know it, you're talking about Black Lives Matter or you're talking about abortion or you're talking about politics. So, so let me ask a question then, because you mentioned you use the tools to get you where you are and then you became the culture facilitator. Does it have to be in that order or can you just naturally be that rebel talent, you know, challenging the status quo, trying to open people's eyes to what potentially could, you know, move the organization or the culture to a place where, you know, we all want it to be. What do you think about that? Um, so I think that some people are naturally good at things, right? So, um, you know, some people will get on a tennis court and they'll be naturally competitive even at the, you know, maybe lowest level of professional athletics, right? Because they're just naturally good at tennis. But if you want to, you know, kind of hoist a Grand Slam championship cup above your head, you have to do something different, right? You have to get better coaches. You have to get a better perspective. You have to get into sports analytics. You really have to do something that pushes you past your natural talent. For culture facilitation, I've seen that happen with almost everyone that walks in. You'll be in a room with SESs. You'll be in a room with uh, corporate leadership. You'll be in a room with uh, people who you know, have very prestigious high-level jobs that are high on um, emotional intelligence and understanding, and they will still struggle with culture facilitation. So tell me a little bit about the certification that, you, that you've that you worked on or that you've attained. I mean, so just so listeners can understand, if they wanted to look into doing this, how could they? And what are there some resources for that? Uh, well, there's, and this is also something that makes it a little bit more unique. There's only one uh, training organization in the United States that certifies culture facilitation. Uh, it's Veritas Culture. It's run out of D.C. here. Um, I, I checked their calendar. Their next training for culture facilitation is three days, April 6th through 8th, coming up in 2020. And uh, it's a very intensive conversation of how to get from kind of that um, cloud of conversation that happens when you're addressing a problem within an organization, or maybe not even a problem. Maybe you're just talking about what is the culture here and really bringing that down to root issues without changing anyone's words or what they've expressed. So really allowing them to be their natural selves, to say things exactly the way they want to say it without ever saying, well, I think what you're trying to say is this. Yeah. It's funny. We, I mean, we I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So Eric and I, you know, we're, we're actually on the road right now and we're in this workshop and uh, someone was telling a funny story about being on this like virtual meeting and someone's phone happened to not be muted. And in that moment, the person speaking was saying some, let's say, colorful things. 
which was maybe that true self that you're alluding to, but it was the the realness of how they think things should be, you know, people, you know, taking action to do this or that. But then when they're not on mute, obviously we put that political spin on things and we want to say the right thing in front of others. If we're in the formal leader role or if we're in kind of the more action officer or just consultant role. But, But kind of what I'm hearing though is like, so this cultural facilitation idea is about bringing people together to have a conversation to get to the real work that needs to happen but you have to create a holding environment for them to feel safe in right and i think that's the tricky part of it is how do you create that environment where people can you know lay down some of their biases put down some of the facade um, and just have a honest conversation about something to help shift the organization um in a positive way um I mean, I I have not done a certification. I I have not done a lot of research on it outside of, you know, a quick Google search. But that's kind Uh of what I'm hearing, Um, because we we talk a lot about the adaptive leadership and the adaptive work. But it comes down to how do we get to the root of the real work that needs to happen? And how do we give that back to the people? Because the people are the culture. Exactly. And I would say, you know, take take a mental snapshot of any command culture, uh, command climate survey that you've been a part of. Whether you've been someone who's at your keyboard kind of anonymously telling, you know, the powers that be what what the real story is, or whether you're in the leadership role and you're like, okay, great, here's another list of, you know, quote unquote, whiny employees. Um, Take a look at your mental model of that and, and see what it would be like if you could get in a room and actually have an honest conversation. And you might not solve the uh, perception that, uh, you know, only white men you know, only straight, white, you know, able-bodied men are the ones getting promoted that are also happen to be retired as sixes from whatever service you're supporting. So um, if that is the perception, if that's a feeling within the culture, getting in the room and having uh, a discussion about it might not erase the perception, but you may be able to start to build trust to have the conversation. And if you can do that in and of itself, you've, you've won. Um, you may also be able to kind of start to ask people questions like, do you understand how the promotion system works? Do you understand how people are graded to, you know, get the points that allow them to make the referral list? Have you ever been in on a selection panel? Get that systems of systems thinking going. Um, so, again, you might not, you know, have a light switch moment where someone walks out and says, oh, now I understand that it's not because they're straight, able-bodied white guys. Um, you know, but you, uh, you build the trust and, um, we could probably talk about this a lot longer, but culture facilitation is so unique that you almost really need to be in the room and see it happen to understand, um, I hate to use the word magic, but I, I I do feel deeply about that. Um, but it's, it's a creating a safe space. Like you said, Steve, you know, creating a safe space where you can get the realness out and hopefully the realness will lead to some better conversations some aha moments and if you walk away just layering at least you know just that dust of trust in the organization it's a win maybe that's what it's all about because i think what i'm intrigued by is it's not even let's get in a room and and come out with some kind of an action plan or a deliverable i think it's about what you said eric and trish it's oh and maybe even the cat (laughs) it's about like there's connections to be made between people because the work is not that important. And we just said this on a podcast, uh, uh, you know, a couple ago that people always come first. And I believe 
the more connections you can make in those honest conversations, then we can dispel myth and rumor and get to a common understanding on issues or concerns that we're having in the organization. I mean, that, that, that to me is the magic I think you're describing, Trish, and I, I, I love seeing when it happens. No, I see. I think we talk about it all the time, you know, just in our, our day-to-day conversations is how do we get past the perception of person and get to a space of clarity and we only do that through conversation and time you can only get to that clarity you know as i start to understand who steve steve who you are what are the problems that you're facing because we might share a common thread that we might just have to have a conversation about and where we have differences right um you know we need to have that that honest conversation to see can we come to a common ground or can i just live with live with it right yeah. hey, our values might not align 100 percent, but i'm good with 80 percent, and i'm willing to compromise on some of that and not compromise myself you know in my values <laughs> but um some type of compromise that we can we can we can move forward in and enact some positive change it feels like when we go to bars we do a lot of culture uh, facilitation don't we Absolutely. <laughs> after a couple of drinks we agree on everything the great like, social i'm not condoning yeah. drinking don't don't get me wrong people out there just you know that realness. Although that's a great segue to right. uh, the Defense Entrepreneur Forum. They do host a number of uh, think and drinks, which happen after work so that people who are uh, drawn to the innovation space and the innovation efforts can get together and socialize. Mm-hmm. You know, and for many people, not for everyone, but for many people, having a beverage in hand doesn't necessarily have to be alcohol, does kind of open up those, you know, those conversation patterns and the ability to talk about tricky things in a social setting. So it doesn't feel like, uh, I'm on this side, I'm on that side. Hey, so, so, so with that, I think, uh, folks out there have some clarity into the culture facilitation. I just want to sum it up so we can, I I do want to talk about this book that, that you brought up, um, earlier. Absolutely. Because I'm intrigued by, it's subject matter, right? And it, and it right. plays into our strengths because, you know, we're IT guys, but, um, and that's how we think. Uh, but but it, it's really, it, it, it truly is about creating a safe space for people to be able to have the conversation, maybe break down some barriers, some biases, um, and get some clarity so that way we can push the culture forward. Yep. Um, right. So, so the book that you were talking about was... Uh, it's called Humility is the New Smart, and it's rethinking human excellence in the smart machine age. And the authors uh, have uh, made an acronym SMA. So it starts off by talking a lot about what machines are going to replace. Um, so some people think that, oh, you know, machines might uh, be in a factory or you know, this, that, or the other thing, but they really are, I'm not telling you anything that you guys don't specialize in, but they're really um, kind of moving into spaces where you might not expect them, like the medical space, um, attorneys, thank goodness, because attorney fees are expensive. (laughs) It's interesting because I've actually seen like a robot, let's say, you know, uh, algorithm go against a real lawyer on a contract and find all the loopholes in the clauses against a a model and the computer won every single time. (laughs) And I expect it to. Yeah, I'd pay for that service. Yeah, Repeatable. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so um, for me, this was uh, humbling. Hmm. You know, good thing, because it's there in the title. Um, But I think that there's just a lot to unpack in the book and really talking about um, 
why humility is an asset. And one of the things that I love, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Game of Thrones is I drink and I know things. Um, oh. But here, <laughs> if I could wear that T-shirt every day, I would. Um, but in this book, they say that, you know, you want to get comfortable saying I'm really good at not knowing. I am really good at not knowing to, you know, be very clear. And Eric, you know, nod to your favorite book recently, your North Star about what your values are. Mm-hmm. Um, but to absolutely say my mental model, my mental models are not reality. Yeah. So so one of the things that I was reading up on it, I got the Cliff Notes version. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, I mean, if you, if you sum it all up, it talks about not being the smartest person in the room any longer once machines are coming online and we're automating ourselves out of jobs. And we say it all the time when, especially in IT, right? My job is to automate myself out of the current job that I'm in, right? So that way I can use my intelligence, my intellectual horsepower or my strategic agility somewhere else. Um, But it's okay to say that I don't know because we're building in machine learning. We're building in these models to, to, to automate the repetitive tasks that we you know, we become accustomed to every day. I mean, we see it. We were just at Walmart a little earlier today, and the majority of the stories, you know, the majority of the scan story, and go. Yeah, is absolutely, what it says. it's it's walk up, <clears throat> do this. Task. I don't work here. Don't make me do that. Well, it's funny because we're both living in Europe right now, and it's that mm-hmm. that's not the culture there. And you talk about culture right. again, right? And we come back to America periodically, and things have changed so much so fast. And I know the listeners here are mostly in America, and. uh you know, it's been part of the norm to see this evolution, but when you take a step away from it, you've got to realize that what what you're saying, Trish, is so important that things like this are being automated and new opportunities are actually arising. So I think that's what I'm intrigued about. And if you could touch on, or maybe Eric as well, like what do you sure. think we should be using our brain power on because computers can't do certain things that a human can? So, so and I'll let Trish go in a second, but... The book itself talks about um, using if the machines can't feel right. right? So that emotional intelligence, you know, um, it's just not there. So how do we use that right to have a a positive impact on the world? Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And and how do we use that to think about things that the machine itself can't think about? And that's the great thing about humans. Right. We come up with great ideas and we innovate. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we come up with great right. ideas and we use, we're going to use the machines to, to help us get to that solution faster. Um, so, you know, whether it's, you know, the new uh, form of transportation or the new way we do healthcare or new way we do banking, whatever the case may be, if we can think yep. it, the machine will do it for us. But we, that's what we need. We need people to be thinking and having those great ideas and that ideation mm-hmm. um, and then using the machines and that automation um, to carry out those, those, those tasks and functions and, and yeah. Cause that's not the important stuff. I mean, the important stuff is solving those major problems that we're all facing every day and, you know, let the machines take care of the minutia of the day to day tasks, but maybe that scares right. people. And I think that's kind of part of the book as well. Right. I mean, I love it. I can't wait for Skynet. Well, I mean, we might be outliers. <laughs> this. <laughs> all right. Come on. Let's, uh, let's keep, uh, all of our, uh, terminators in the box for right now (laughs) (laughs) but you know actually eric i love that you kind of dropped the phrase smartest person in the room so um so as a culture facilitator i would say that somebody's going to be it can be you 
And for me as a woman, I really want, right. I I really want to emphasize that again um, for uh, women that are listening, because that's something that we get beat up with a lot. You know, don't try to be the smartest person in the room. Sometimes you are, but you can work on the balance between your transmit and receive as the smartest person in the room. So, um, and the author actually of the book or one of the authors, um, Edward Hess, talked a little bit about in his mind what his mental model was when it meant that he was the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And he was always on transmit. If he was the smartest person in the room, he was always on transmit. He would interrupt people. He would, you know, give his information out there. He'd put his information out there. He was always on transmit, not always on receive. And he actually talks about that quite a bit in the book about quieting ego, which is ugh, so good. Like I'm still working on this. So I will tell <laughs> you, still um, working on this. someone told me once, cause, uh, I made a comment to one of our one of our colleagues that he ne- didn't say much during meetings, and um, I asked him why why is that, and he told me, and it it stuck with me. A leader should never interrupt success, right? So allow people to to get to that uh, position on their own, um, and not try to impart your wisdom, your knowledge, your you know your will um, through coercion. Um, on on people, let them get there. You know, put them in that constant state of learning. Again, mm-hmm. I know he he di- he actually disagrees with me on that piece. He doesn't think that leaders should be putting people in a constant state of learning or the unavoidable path. But I believe in that, and I think that's kind of what we're getting at is that we need to not interrupt success, humble ourselves, and allow the magic to happen. Yeah. So there's um you know you can think about this maybe as a three step process. If you're smart, you know things. If you're intelligent you know how those things matter to each other, how they apply or how they work together. Mm -hmm. When you're wise, you know when and how to lay that out. So, you know, it's kind of a three-step process there. So the the balance of transmit and receive really, I think, um, is that, that rare cutting line between being intelligent and being wise. Yeah. I guess my, if I had to add it like a final exclamation point to it, I, I, Everything is great, and I think what we should be doing also as leaders with each other is giving each other that feedback also in those moments that if they aren't getting to that eventual wise state, we should let them know that maybe sometimes, yes, they had some information. Yes, they might have been right, but we've talked about it. Sometimes when you're right, you're wrong. Absolutely. And there is moments to step back, let success happen or that, you know, that greatness happen between the people that are working through that collision, that that ideation, that problem solving process. You might have the answer already. And it is more impactful for the team or the group of people to let them get to it versus you just giving it to them, you know, and, and working through that process. Yeah. So Yeah, I think Go ahead. Oh, a great coaching follow-up for that would normally be, and in fact, I just told a protege this this week, is try to look at it in thirds when you're in a meeting or when you're in a discussion. There's going to be one-third of the stuff that you say when you're in the room. Uh, There's going to be one-third of the stuff that you'll say kind of like in the hallway as you're breaking up from the meeting. Oh, hey, Eric, I noticed that you said this, and, you know, that's really interesting. Can we do this or Hey, Steve, I I know that you're looking for a solution to this. I have a guy that I know over there. Can I make an introduction? And then another third is what you follow up in email. You know, hey, when we were talking about this in the meeting, you thought of this afterwards, Mm -hmm. da-da-da-da. And then that way, again, working on that uh, transmit and receive balance, 
you're not saying everything that's on your mind to show that you're the smartest person in the room while you're in the room. Yeah, so I'm still I'm still working on that. I mean, I, I think I'm pretty good at active listening. Um, and, you know, Steve, you could probably uh, rebut this if you'd like to. I'm not going to on this. <laughs> you guys set me up for that. <laughs> we all have our strengths and weaknesses, man. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I think, yeah, I would say I'm still working on it because I think one of my issues is, is like when I hear something that's wrong, I want to correct it in the moment. Hmm. And then when I see things going down maybe the wrong path, I'm not patient enough to, to wait for it to crash and burn. Right. I want to get it back to where, hey, you know, that you guys are maybe a couple steps away. You know, just let's let's focus on this. Or do you think sure. about that? Right. To help facilitate the conversation. But that's easy, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's not leadership. The book, the book talks a little bit about the difference between active listening and re, uh, reflective listening. Okay. Um, again, a skill that I'm really, really working on. I think active listening, sometimes we can get into, you know what? I just did it. I said, I think so that's, that's not a good way to start. Reflective hey, you have listening. great self-awareness. That's yeah. great. Yes. But, but really listening to what people are saying for what they're saying rather than what your response is going to be. Absolutely. And when you, when you've got a mind that works quickly, Ooh, that's like meditation, your mental meditation during your conversations. It's mm. really hard to do. I love it. Hey, so, um, yeah, so so with that, Trish, I do want to thank you for coming on, um, and you know, for the audience, um, we want to hear what you have to say. Um, you know, when it comes to design thinking, if there's folks out there that are listening that um, um, have their thoughts on what Trish put out there for us, uh, you know, if there's other folks out there part of this cultural facilitation mafia, um, or you know, this new wave of thinking and how to bring people together to get after the real work, or folks that even read the book. You know, um, go to leadershipistricky.com and, you know, send us a note on the contact us page. We'll get the email and then we'll, um, you know, bring Trish back on once we get some feedback and then maybe we can have that conversation. Um, Absolutely. Hey, Trish, do you mind plugging the book one more time? Um, so the book is Humility is the New Smart, co-written by Edward Hess and Catherine Ludwig. And uh, one of the things that it is, has in here is just great. It's an actual assessment question okay. uh, tool where you can sit down and really get real with yourself, ask yourself questions that hmm. will help you get after really uh, incorporating the lessons in humility that they lay out in the book. Cool. Appreciate it. Yeah. So Trish, any part and shots for anyone out there listening? Shots. <laughs> shots fired. Um, well, <laughs> actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about your podcast. I'm, more than flattered to be on i think what you guys are doing is fantastic and i just can't wait to say i knew them when after you guys blow up um but i do have uh just one last plug for a, a little series of books called what you do matters it's a hmm. series of children's books what do you do with an idea what do you do with a problem and what do you do with a chance um, that I think could be uh, really, you know, very easily foundational, easily digested over lunch kind of conversation starter um, that I think is just, it incorporates design thinking and culture facilitation and some of the innovation that we're talking about now. Again, uh, the series is called What You Do Matters. And the authors are, as I look, 
Kobe Yamada. Okay. So check that out for a light reading and a quick uh, team building thing if uh, folks are interested. But I really, really enjoy the way that they've laid it out and the illustrations are amazing. And one last thing I, I wanted you to, as we kind of talked about at the beginning, um, and it's not a part of the recording, um, there's a women's group that you're a part of that's uh, yeah. got many members. So if you could plug that, you know, I got two daughters, so sure. um, I'm all about uh, pushing that forward. Yep. So um, one of the things that I think is a fantastic uh, underutilized resource is meetup.com. So meetup.com is a, is an interest centric uh, website and essentially, like, let's say you're into hiking. You can type in hiking and where you live in the world, and they'll show you all these groups that do that. So about seven years ago, March will be seven years, I created a uh, women's group here in Northern Virginia called the Nova Ladies. And it's on meetup.com. Search Nova Ladies, and you'll find us. Um, the organizing principle is that women have a deep, deep need for friendships that transcend their activities. So I just said, like, you can type in hiking and you'll find your people. But what I've set out to do is to create a safe space for women to form really deep and lasting friendships. And those deep and lasting friendships will get them through the highs and lows of life in a way that um, is kind of just an unspoken reality for women. And it's been fantastic. We started out with uh, seven people on the first day, and now we have a group of about 1,600 women. And it's become a really kind of comprehensive uh every corner of life for women group. We cheer our highs and we uh, kind of um, get each other through the lows. Mm. And it's been a, a fantastic leadership lab. Again, I organized it, but I don't quote unquote run it. And uh, it's been a great leadership lab for some of these principles that I've learned uh, in that we've discussed today. And it gets back to giving the work back to the people, right? So, yeah. Now you have this uh, network out there of women. So kudos to you and thank you for doing that. Um, you know, hopefully my, my daughters, you know, that'll be around for them, you know, as they get a little older. Yeah. And anybody else, you know, use that platform. Meetup is awesome. Um, if you have an interest, you know, one, you just need your early first follower. So even one person is enough to get started and who knows what it could turn into. So thanks for that testimonial. All right. So uh, again, thank you for being on the show, Trish. Uh, Steve, any parting shots? No, I'm just, it's cool that we're doing this on the road. Thank you, Eric, for uh, hooking this up. And Trish, it's been a pleasure, you know, spending some time with you and talking about some really cool stuff. It has been more than my pleasure. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to uh, hear more of the podcast and more guests. Mm -hmm. Cool. So any first listeners out there, thank you for tuning in to Leadership is Tricky on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or any of the other platforms that you found us on. Or if you found us through leadershipistricky.com. Um, for, again, anyone that wants to contact us directly you can go to leadershipistricky.com. Go to contact us, fill out the form, and that email comes directly to Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at leadershipistricky.com. So if you want to reach out to directly, again, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at leadershipistricky.com. So um, again, Trish, thanks, um, and we'll be in touch. Great. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. All right. Bye.